0: In today's episode, we have wholesaler Raul Valdivia. Raul has wholesaled more than 400 transactions in his career. He's been in this business for over 36 years, married for 35, and he's a proud father of two boys. Real estate investing for you. This is Pod Success. Pod success. With Joe Arias, speaking to investors about the pitfalls and successes on wholesaling. These are top real estate investors. These are experts in the business. And this is Pod Success. Pod success. Here is Joe Arias. Thank you so much, Eric. Appreciate it.
1: Well, hello, Raul. How are you? Good, good, Joe. Thank you so much for having me here. Appreciate
0: it. Absolutely. It's a pleasure having you. A little context about Raúl. We um, he's been a mentor to me. Uh, we worked on six months uh, for six, seven months. That's how I met him. He was doing a lot of wholesaling, and I wanted to get in wholesales. This was a, a few years ago, and uh, and here we have, you know, here you have, we have you. We have the the honor to have you, Raúl. Thank you again. Let's just, just start right right into it. What would be what would be a good way to start this in bringing Valley Tour to students inside of wholesaling?
1: Um, I think more than anything, it's it's kind of seeing where the industry. Well, was where we started working together, where it's going, where it's headed. We're seeing that there are a lot of, um, a lot of people getting into business, right? And unfortunately, or fortunately, a lot of them aren't licensed. And I only say that as um, an agent license. As an agent, for, for the most part, because uh, as I was just speaking with Eric a little bit, there are um, situations as as obviously licensed agents. There's you know there's there's licensing, there's oversight, there's continuing education, and ultimately, I, I always look at someone that does get a license like myself. I have a broker's license. Uh, that's going to be our craft, right? I mean, we're not doing this as a as a side hustle per se. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that. I'm mm-hmm. simply saying there's more of a sense of responsibility. So, so the way we look at things, the way we talk to people, whether it's a responsibility to a seller, to a contract holder, to a buyer, that has to carry some value because if it doesn't, it, it's it's okay in the short term because you're going to see maybe immediate success. You may get lucky and fall into deals, but from a long-term perspective, it's not going to hold water because at the end of the day, the word travels really fast. If you cheat people, if you don't do a good job, if you you know, you know don't keep your promises, if you under-deliver, and that's, that's what hurts. Now, there's nothing to lose, right? Because if I'm unlicensed, I can run amok and, and really create a lot of havoc and not really produce any value for anybody. But if I am, I've got something to lose per se, whether it's my license, whether it's something, right? And as I mentioned before, it's not that it's good or bad that you're licensed, but I think there has to be something that holds you accountable. Right, and we've been seeing a lot of uh, a lot of agents now seeing a lot of new people coming into the marketplace that are looking to either wholesale or their buyers right their investors they're not doing it obviously as responsibly as you are you know with your academies with all the training that you're doing with the education where you're not setting them up for failure, you're setting them up for success I think your you. name right real success and a lot of people aren't at, aren't that responsible for what do they do so they pack a room in they throw a couple nuggets out there and then they just let them loose mm. after obviously they give their name their information how much they have to invest and all these other things that allow them now in my mind to be predatory. You know, now I, listen, I found out Joe's got, you know, 600,000. There was nothing about deals. Let me go talk to him. We'll start we'll quote unquote JVing. The irony in all that is it'd be different if I brought the deal to Joe, who's a new investor. And I say, Joe, you're paying me money. I'd like to train you on how to do this deal. You shadow me now mm. and you put up the money. I put up the deal, that's a true JV, right? And we split profits, however venture, we yeah. however we agree to do that. Unfortunately, you've got guys out there that are, are not responsible to to the populace and go out and say, "Listen, you bring me the deal. Listen to this. You know, you bring me the deal, you bring me the money, I'll do the work and we'll split profits 50-50." I mean, what value is that person really bringing to that person? That's there's a sense of irresponsibility the way I see it. And agents like us, you know, uh, sometimes we fall into that trap and we're culpable. Because what we do now is I bring a deal, and let's say Eric's a seasoned investor. Eric knows that for that deal on one two three Main Street, you're not going to pay more than 400,000, Four hundred thousand, that's it. I mean, anything more than that, you're going to lose money. Period in the story. But as an agent, I look at Joe. I say, hey, you know, Joe's a little green. He's willing to pay four fifty. Hey, more commission. It's a guaranteed sale. I can I can talk him into selling me on. You know, I can use him as a as a listing agent on the back end. So it's tempting. It's tempting for agents us, you know, who have the deals on, on market deals to lose sight of what really what we're doing, right? Which our fiduciary, as we all know, is to service our client and do what's in their best interest.
0: So let me distill what you're saying, which I really appreciated. What I'm hearing is that as a wholesaler, you have to provide, uh, besides the providing good service, the product has to be good to your investors. Absolutely. And I'm also hearing that as a as a wholesaler, it would be a really good idea to get a license as an agent. Did you say that? Is that well, a tip? It, or no, would that some, I, something else help? S-
1: I would say that. You, you have to have, uh, let me, let me rephrase that. If you are in that position for long term, uh, for long term, um, I've always sensed that you should get a license because A, it protects you and there's less chances. That's one of the reasons why I had gotten my broker's license back in 2012 was because I was doing deals. I was JVing, I was doing a lot of things and a savvy investor, you know, decided to get a little smart with me and say, Hey, listen, I can't pay you a commission. You know, the referral fee, there's this and that. So I'm going to pay you, tw- I think it was $2,500, should have been like 25 dollars $30,000. Oh. So it was an expensive lesson. I said, okay, you know what? That's fine. That was the impetus or that was the genesis of me going and getting licensed because I didn't never, I never wanted anyone to give me that excuse again. Oh, you're not licensed. Oh, you know what? You know the rules. I can't be, you know, come on. So at that, at that point, I got licensed, um, for no other reason. I don't, I don't put my signs up, I don't do open house, I don't do that part of it. I, I'm simply licensed so that I can transact, I can be involved in deals and obviously get paid accordingly. I think,
0: well, this is a, is a golden nugget, uh, the idea of, of becoming an agent as a wholesaler for the long term, not the short term. And, you know, you have MLS access right? Absolutely. You, you also have other peers that will have off-market deals, right? Like different companies, you know, Encompass, Keller Williams, you know, the, every company has a community. We like to call it the tribe and they, they give each other off-market deals first Absolutely. before they actually put it in the MLS. Feed the
1: family first. Yeah. So so that's that's very attractive. Well, that and also um, even from a business standpoint, now you don't need a listing agent, right? Now you've <laughs> three to 4% right off the top that goes in your pocket if you're listing yourself. And I've seen a lot of guys do that. So either themselves or their wife will become the listing agent on the deal. They buy it, they, you know, they work through there and you're right. Everything that is, that is industry specific or industry oriented towards an agent, whether they're, um, you know, open houses, caravans, whatever, you know, gatherings. And I know Keller and a lot of places are really big into that, right? To bring everybody together. That's where you get a lot of the access to the deals, right? I mean, I, if I, I can't walk into a Keller Williams, you know, event, an internal event, just because I'm, a, I'm an investor, I could be worth millions, but I, I can't get in, right? It's agents only. So sometimes it's good to to get your license, hang it in an office where you think you might be doing a lot of the business or where you think there's a lot of action, right? Uh, specific to what you're comfortable with. I mean, I wouldn't go to an estates division somewhere in Beverly Hills if I know I'm going to be my bread and butter or my sweet spot is a $500,000 house. So that's my market, right? The 110 corridor, the IE, whatever. Um, you have to be specific to that marketplace. But to to kind of wrap up my point about the licenses and the responsibilities, is I've been seeing a lot of guys just, just predatory on, on students and, and taking advantage, you know, I've got I've got a horror story that I can get into in just a little bit, you know, as as we get prompted. But um, I'm seeing that I'm not seeing a responsibility from mentors and trainers for the long term. And I always tell people it's just like kids, right? I mean, you can only feed so many kids. I mean, if I have 20 kids, I'm not gonna see half of them <laughs> through time, right? And that's same thing with investors, same thing with your wholesale, same thing with your clients. You should have just a small group of guys that are consistent because the deal flow, as we was talking to Eric earlier, is there's just not a lot of deals out there. So you're having to hustle a lot harder. You're having to really grind. And I think if you've got a good network and you develop that network and you work that network and you're honest with that network, that's where deals come across. I mean, I've, I'm doing a deal right Right now in the city of orange that ironically is from a wholesaler that wants a deal of mine out in Reseda. And I, I don't, have to look over my shoulder. I don't sleep with one eye open. So I don't worry about stepping on people's toes. I was honest with, with this gentleman. I told him, listen, you have my word when we clear up this lien issue that we're dealing with the seller, it's your deal. It's done. And lo and behold, that came back to to pay back in a positive way. When I found out he was on there without knowing, I, I went after the deal. And when I heard his name, I said, Hey, is this so-and-so's deal? Yeah, it is. Ask him right now. Can I get, and he said, Nope. He said, it's your deal. Absolutely your deal. So again, and I was probably $10,000 below the other offer, but they know that we'll close. They know that we're real. That I mean, I was at the property within yeah, thirty integrity. minutes. Integrity, integrity. So at the end of the day, that's what's worth
0: something. Role. What's what's your definition of integrity?
1: Um, uh, there's a saying that I, I think I told you when we first met. You know, when in grammar school, I went to Catholic school, so we had nuns there, and their big thing that you, from first grade on is the real measure of a man's character is what he would do if he'd never be found out. So again, the real measure of a man's character is, is what he would do if he never be found out. Meaning when no one's watching, what are you about? What do you do? Right? It's real easy. I mean, we could be in a, oh, I'm talking a good game and I'm signing contracts. I'm all about that. But the minute I turn around, I'm looking, okay, how can I screw Joe? Right? That's my mentality. But if, if your heart is pure and your mentality is, listen, I'm going to do the right thing no matter what, that's the key. That's integrity.
0: Let me ask you this, Raul. When you don't have integrity, how, I mean, we all have lessons in, in life, right? We're in a, we're in a journey together as human beings. When you... You know, not everything is perfect and integrity is key, right? It creates the foundation to being successful, but more important, being happy. When you don't have integrity, how can you put the, the, a plan in motion to overcome that and create a foundation for integrity?
1: I think you have to be honest with yourself and humble in the sense that know that you're human, know that you're, I guess you're not broken per se, but that you're that you're not perfect imperfect, right? Because I think that's where when we start making a little bit of money and, and it happened to all of us, right? I mean, it happened to me. I we made a lot of money. Uh, you start forgetting the real friends. You start finding the phony friends, the whole entourage, because everyone's going to be there to spend your money. Trust me. Trust me mm. when I tell you that. They love spending your money. But the reality is it's hollow and it's not there. And eventually you're going to fall. And uh, I learned my lesson early on. I, I was blessed that I made a lot of money when I was very young. And unfortunately- wasn't prepared for it. Right. But uh, again, not getting into religion, but the man upstairs, I think has always put his hand on me and kind of guided me in a certain way. And sometimes it's been that, listen, you need to learn your lesson. You know, you need to fail. You need to fall. You need to be broken and humbled in some fashion or some capacity to understand that, listen, I'm wrong. And I mean, I'm not perfect. I tell people all the time, listen, I wake up every morning. I try to do more good than harm. But what I've learned in my old age, as I call my old age, is if I make a mistake, I try to not do it again. I try to fix it and I try to apologize for it. And that takes a lot. I mean, it it took me a lot because, again... You know, you have this bravado, you're making money, you're doing this or whatever. But at the end of the day, it takes a lot of character to say, you know what? I'm sorry, Joe, I messed up. You know, I, I got greedy or, or this happened or that happened. Uh, and I apologize. And I need to repair that trust and build that trust with you again. And and I've yet to hide well, not see yet. It's been very hard to find those types of people. They're very far and few between. And I found even the guys that have done that to me, but are willing to say, hey, listen, bro, I've, I messed up but I'm willing to earn your trust back. That's huge because now I know that this guy has vested in with me, right? It's just like a a bankruptcy, right? Once you file bankruptcy, you can't file again. So even though that person's filed bankruptcy, that's almost like the best client to have because they can't hide behind that anymore, right? Same thing here. When you have good people and you surround yourself with those people, that tribe, as you've mentioned, uh, in concentric circles, right? Tighter and then further out, further out, further out. That's really when you insulate yourself with not only success, but you also protect yourself from people that are out to hurt you. Very good. You were
0: talking about when you were younger that, you know, when you started, you start making a lot of money. I know the rules have changed in the business since then, but tell us a little bit more about that. What was that? How old were
1: you? What, what did you start doing? And how can you translate that until today? Sure, sure. No, um, I think I told you the story. We were, uh, my uh, at the time we were looking to start buying ourselves. So my- How old partner, were you? I was 20, 20, 20 when I started. And, um, we were looking at, uh, Bakersfield, Oildale, and Taft, because those numbers made sense. You know, you had four plexes. Hold on, hold plexes. on. How did you get, being
0: eight, 20, being 20-year-old, 20 how did you even got to talk about things, about real estate? and I, my,
1: my parents, my mom. My mom is my inspiration. My mom is my mentor. My mom's an absolute savage. She would, she would destroy anybody in, in business. Absolute, just, just a hustler. What, what's her name? Dolly. Dolly. Yeah. Dolly. Yeah. She's, she's the love of my life. She's everything. I, 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 if I could be a 10th of what she, what she represents, it'd be, it'd be crazy. She was, uh, you know, my parents married young. They came over here. My, my father was from a very wealthy family, decided to come here versus, you know, follow the family line. My grandfather was a judge and stuff. And when he came here, he was on his own. Not in
0: California. No,
1: no, Bolivia. La Bolivia, Paz, La Paz, La Paz. Wow. So they came here and uh, started from scratch. You know, he was going to college, working the two jobs. I mean, and this is at 18, 19. You know, so it's a whole different, you know, nowadays sometimes you don't even know your gender until you're 25, right? That's right. In <laughs> the climate that we're in, right? And
0: your dad, your dad was a judge in Bolivia. My grandfather was a judge. Your grandfather. Uh, and didn't...
1: my dad was going to go study engineering in Berlin and Germany, had options all over and decided, you know what? I'm good. I'm going to come here and make it, you know, follow the love of his life. And I met, met your mom in Bolivia? I met my mom in Bolivia, came here. And, and your mom was an entrepreneur back then? She was she always had that mindset. She's extremely intelligent. Not just because she's my mom, but she's extremely intelligent, sharp with numbers and just has a has a work ethic that just re- Ridiculous. So she was a businesswoman. Yeah. She was always doing something that was, you know, in business. She was an accountant. She was doing bookkeeping. She was great with numbers.
0: How did she get into real estate that then you got into real estate?
1: Well, when they moved over here, um, the mindset was, you know, my dad was studying and they were looking to save up money. My mom said, listen, why are we paying rent? You know, we need to buy a house. There's tax advantage, this and that and the other. So my mom started buying you know, dresses and clothing here, flying it back to Bolivia and selling to the extremely rich ladies that have nothing to do but spend a gazillion dollars on nothing, right? That's all they do because that's what they do, right? That's their job. So my mom was, you know, I'm making the numbers up, but it was something like, you know, buy dresses for 10 bucks, sell them for 300. Get uh, Marine duffel bags full of stuff, Three kids in tow, hustle over there, sell, 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 sell. You know, she'd pay the, the aduana, you know, the customs, you know, here's a little thing for <laughs> you, you know, for your kid, have an ice cream. And they got to the point where I even laughed because I remember this image. The actual custom officials are carrying my mom's duffel bags through the side, that loading so up, you know, fine. you know, it's, it's a testament to our countries, you know, in South America. I'm not saying it's bad or good, but I'm just simply saying yeah. you have to have that mindset. And by she was way,
0: She was a businesswoman. So adult,
1: she... And she saved like crazy and bought the first house. And then... And I, you were like then,
0: 1920.
1: No, I was... Really were young. We were, we were kids and I just saw her every year. Her goal was to get the taxes, save, 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 buy another house, buy another house, buy another house. And I was blessed in seeing what she did and how she did it. But what was also an extremely important learning lesson was that they lost it all too. They got to, I think it was 20 something houses and lost everything, including, no I mean, including the house we lived in. I mean, I'm taking 2008. I was taking, yeah, this was, no, this was in ninety. The SNL crash. And I remember we were taking like the cross off the door and, you know, going to a rental, not, that, not that there's nothing wrong with rentals or anything, but just, it was a, a completely humbling experience. But, you know, I, I think you have to live your life in a way where you're always aggressive, you know, aggressive per se. And that's stupid. There's a difference between stupidity and, and, you know, being cautious, so to speak, but you have to always be moving forward. At least that's the, that's my makeup. My father, you know, God bless him. He was a hard worker, but he had a different mentality, a different mindset, right? And a different clock. My mom was the one that's like, listen, if you're not winning, you're losing. Period. You don't win silver, you lose gold. I mean, that was that mindset. And sometimes it pays off in spades. Sometimes it, it hurts, but the lessons you, that you get out of it are, I think, invaluable. Thank you for that context. So then now take us back to your 20, you're looking at your properties. Oh, yeah. No, I, I had, I had a a business partner that I I matched up with and these guys were, they were killing it. They were tying up deals. um, You know, and I said, you know, where are you guys buying at? And I just was curious. And the guy said, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm the guy who handles all the acquisitions. He, you know, he had like three degrees in chemical engineering, biochem. I mean, he's just a brilliant numbers guy. So he was, he was the quantitative guy for the company. And and I said, you know, show me, what are you doing? He says, oh, this is what we do. We go up, we see a fourplex for a hundred thousand dollars. We offer the guy 80,000 cash. And uh, we close in, let's say 10 days. Okay. that. My first question is, well, do you have 80,000 cash? He goes, no, we don't. I'm like, okay, now I'm really disconnected. Okay. So how do you plan to do this? And he says, well, real simple. We tie it up at 80. And so this was wholesaling before it was even called wholesaling. And then he would go ahead and find someone that would buy it for a hundred thousand because at a hundred thousand, the numbers were, it was like a 14 cap or something silly, right? And he had the financing set up where you had a first of 80%, the down payment of 20% was the cash that the investor would bring in, right? So when he when we sold it from 100, the 80 came from the loan that he would get, that my partner would set up. The 20,000, it was his down payment. Now that was our profit. We got it right at closing. And then on top of that, once we closed, we would get him a second, which is a 20% second. So now he's at 100% finance. Then on top of that, they have a, what's it, a 203K loan now, but back then it was the FHA Title I loans. And what we would do is it was 7,500 per unit, up to four units and 17.5 for a single family home. So if you can do the numbers, and I'm making this up on the spot, but if you bought it, for, if you tied it for 80, sold it for 100, you get a $20,000. Uh, second, you're at 100000 now. Now you go and you get, for because it's a fourplex, you get $35,000. And I'm telling you, they literally, you remember Polaroids? You remember the Polaroids? Oh. That's what all the yeah. inspection was. They'd, inspe- they'd come in, they take a picture and they put it on the paper. And back then, you could write in all of the repairs that you would do equal to that amount. And if you chose to do them yourself for 5000 you were you were allowed legally to keep the thirty thousand. So now you've got a guy that because the numbers are so tight or so good, I should say, you've got hundred and thirty-five thousand dollars worth of mortgages on a hundred thousand dollar property, still positive cash flow or break-even, but you've got 40,000 in your pocket. So we started, you know, once I did the first one, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like, this is ridiculous. And he says, Well, I'm telling you, we could do this like crazy. So I was always a sales guy. He was a numbers guy, so it was a great mix. We started just going up there and just tying up duplexes triplexes for anything we can get our hands on because it was guaranteed money. And he was married to a Korean lady out here in Korea Town, So I would do the, get the deals. He'd bring in all the Korean money. We would meet off the one-on-one in Vermont at the Denny's at the time. And it was funny because we'd do two <laughs> runs. I would do two runs. I'd get my, my, at that time, I had a really nice BMW, roll up in the morning, load everybody up, drive up to to Bakersfield, do our, you know, our little caravan or whatever you can call it. Stop at Lion's, which was a restaurant like like a Denny's. And my partner would have all the contracts all lined up. So these guys were frothing at the mouth because any contract they grabbed was basically $30,000. So if I grabbed 10, that's $300,000 guaranteed. Guaranteed. So I, I would literally, and not just figuratively, but literally throw contracts on the table. And it was like, it's just like a, a was it the Black Thursday, Black Friday or whatever, just a madhouse. Guys tearing papers and this, I'd have to put tape on the contracts, but then I'd, I'd get their checks. I'd staple them, put them in my folder. We drive back down. I would pull up, I'd hand the folder to my, to my partner who'd grab it, then go to hand me escrow on Wilshire, open up all the escrows. And I would take the second round and we would do that every weekend, every Saturday and Sunday. And it was just, it was just, it was a madhouse. Wow. But that was the work ethic that we had. I mean, now I've slowed down a little bit, but back then it was, yeah, it was crazy money. And we were, we were so blessed. We made good money, but again, we just, we weren't prepared for it. We didn't have the, the vehicles for it. We didn't have the education for it in the sense that we didn't have a good, you know, uh, I could say a, a procedure finan- step I, well by step. Well, that a financial advisor to say, hey, listen, you, you know, you're, you're, you're 20 something. I, I remember my business said mine at 21, that was my license, my vanity license, but you know, and, and you, you make that kind of money, but you're not ready for it. Mm. And that's, maybe that's a lesson, right? You mm. enjoy it and it's great. And, but then you have to learn. And again, from what you're doing, from what here hear that you're doing with, with your, your success Academy and stuff, that's, you know, I know you've mentioned, that's a great component that educating people. People, you know that maybe fall into two hundred thousand dollars out of nowhere. You know what do you do with it? And likely, obviously, invest, diversify in those things too. So that's important. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about education, and I think you you answered right. Like I'm here, I mean, education is extremely important. Oh,
1: absolutely, absolutely. Because uh, I mean, y- you you can be busy all day long, but someone's always learning something. Someone's always doing something better, or at least trying to trying to do better, right? So you have to keep up with that. You have to be networking all the time and seeing you proceed. This week alone, I learned a new way how to how to tie up a contract a little bit differently than I normally was, and it, it didn't really factor too much into me because again, I'm 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 about trust and integrity. So I always tell people I'll always trust you until I have a reason not to. Don't get me wrong, we do we do the paperwork, and I think I first met I mentioned this too. My my one of my first deals that I did when I was I was I was I was 17. It was a duplex in Norwalk. I wasn't even old enough to, to sign the contracts yet. So my parents had to close for me. And uh, uh, this gentleman that I was working with, you know, he, he owned like 2,500 homes. I mean, just ridiculous, right? He was a, a mentor at a whole other level. So I show him uh, my contracts and I'm all excited. I have all these things signed and paperwork, stacks of stuff. And he's like, that's, that's phenomenal, Raul. But let me ask you a couple of questions. I'm like, sure. Tell me. He says, um, he goes, you're going to marry, you know, her name is Juanita, my wife, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. You know, I look that's down the road and, well, yeah. He says, uh, you're going to get married in a church? I said, yeah, yeah I'm Catholic. I'm, of course. Like, so you're gonna say vows in front of God, right? And I'm like, Yeah and he emphasized God, right? I said, Yeah, because you're gonna sign a marriage certificate? Yeah, yeah. So you're gonna do all that, right? And I, yeah. He says, So can you stop her from cheating? And I said, No, that's a great point. No. So he took that lesson into business saying, Well, you can sign all the contracts, you have your attorney's present, you do whatever. But that person on the other side of the table, if he's smart enough to screw you, he's gonna do it. Mm. So my point to that is to anyone that's listening is do your good housekeeping, right? You gotta be smart, you do your paperwork. But ultimately, trust your gut, know who you're getting into bed with because the if they really want to, they'll they'll work you over. And as much as I think I know, I've been worked over by the best. And even when I put my guard down, you know, I get caught. So now I just trust my gut. If I don't like the business I'm doing with you, if I don't like the vibe, I don't even start. It's not even worth it because it's just going to be a recipe for for, for headache. You're going to put a lot of work, time and effort, and hopefully not money, but it's just not worth it. So that's why obviously I'm here because I enjoy what you're doing. I know you've got good Thank integrity you. and I'm, I'm excited to see what we can do together.
0: Yeah, thank you. I I you know, I was thinking about remodels and yeah, there's there's a great reward, there's also a great risk, right? Especially when you don't have experience. One of the things that are so appealing about wholesaling is that you actually don't need to invest your own money. Right. So, tell our students share with share with us what is your definition? How would you explain what a wholesale is? And and how can you help, you know, how can people, how can our students overcome the the roadblocks of beginning, starting your career as a wholesaler.
1: You know, I think I think it comes down to what your comfort level is, and what I mean by that is if you're already an, for example, we'll do frontiers, right? So if you're already an agent you're in the business you understand offers you understand the mindset of, of buying selling um you've got an advantage but it doesn't mean that's the only way you can do it right so let's say second tier I'm what if you're not an agent well that's what i'm getting so the next level is that you're you know you're someone that either owns property or you know you're buying yourself and and now you say listen i i've got the time i've got the flexibility to be able to look for deals and i like to start wholesaling them, right that's what we'll call that tier 2 tier 3 is someone that doesn't have anything just saying, listen, I need either a side hustle or a full-time hustle. I want to make more money. I've got what, well, for whatever reason, need to take it to the next level. And I, I want to start doing that. So mine is more, I think at each level, there's an advantage because something comes with that, right? You have the network already, you have the money already, but if you're starting from scratch, I think you need to, to find someone or mentor with somebody that is somewhat doing it or somehow doing it. Right. And what I mean by that is they've take out some of that learning curve because there's no point there's no point at this at this day and age with the proliferation of the internet, with all the things that are out there, with programs like yours, they're accessible. So there's no reason for you to start from scratch and, and lose $100,000 just to get to the point where you should be when you start off with, right? So to, to keep answering your question, sorry, I kind of went in circles there. I think as as a, as a new student, I think what you should do is, is find someone in the business in some capacity um, that has either money or experience. You have a network organically, right? You know, you have friends, you have family, you've got people that you know in your job, whatever that may be you have the ability to to network and say in hey this is what i do now i and i always used partner because i always had a capital partner always had a partner that was a managing partner and that way you don't sound like a one-man band right you say, listen i have a partner or i have a group of guys this is what we do so that way if as you're starting out someone says oh you know that sounds great joe so tell me about your 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 group, instead of panicking, saying, oh, I don't know what I, you know, you start babbling, say, hey, call up your mentor, call up your, your guy that can, that can benefit. I mean that in a positive way from having people like you out there hitting the streets and finding deals and doing that and bring him in. And I was always good at listening and, and kind of learning and memorizing that way. And that's, that's, that's osmosis, right? That's the best way to do it. Attend events. I used to, I think when we first started, I told you, I used to go to, you know, the Robert Allen, the Kiyosakis, the, the, you know, the Dante Peranos and all these guys. And people would ask me, you know, what'd you learn at the event? I have no idea. And they'd laugh. i say, well, why'd you go there? i said, well, because I had, there was a great network. They spent mm. the money on on the marketing. They spent the money bringing people there. But everybody in that audience either had money or had deals, right? So that's what I suggest for a lot of these these young guys is obviously learn from what like you're doing through the real success or through your academy. Understand the basics. I don't mean to just, you know, hey, today I woke up, I'm going to start wholesaling, right? It's not that easy. It's not that easy. Listen, I've been doing this for a long time, and it's frustrating. The deals are getting harder and harder to find. So tell us about
0: that. How, what What's the timeline from someone average? Let's say you want to start, you have nothing. Are you looking at six months, one year,
1: until you start getting... It, it depends on what you, how you set yourself up. If, you, if your mentality is, listen, I'm going to wake up today, I'm going to be a wholesaler, just add water, you're going to be in for a long haul, I think. But if you get up and say, listen, I'm willing to go knock on some doors. I'm willing to talk to some local agents. I'm willing to actually go around the neighborhood. I'm willing to talk to mailmen. I'm willing to talk to gardeners, contractors, guys that are working on houses. They're always hearing the buzz. I've seen guys close deals in their first week, first month of doing it. I've seen guys go a whole year and not see anything. And that's really what you have to decide as a wholesaler when you're getting in this business, understand, listen, if it was that easy, everybody would be doing it, right? But there's success at every level. You know, you can be a bird dog. You can just find leads. Some guys I know would just get leads organically and say, listen, I don't even want a back-end fee. I just want, give me give me 500 bucks a lead. Here you go. And some guys would get 10, 20 leads a month. You know, whether they pound out or not, that's up to the person that received the lead. But there's so many ways to make money in this business. There's so many ways. And I think there's so many ways that you can do it, like you said before, with integrity,
0: you know? And and it's very interesting because it's a very prolific business. You know, what was, what has been the month where you make the most deals or you had the most deals and how many deals, you know, did you have when you were BC?
1: We, when, when we started 2012, when I first got licensed, I was struggling at first because I kept trying to try to, to represent my clients as a broker. Right. I mean, that's the first mm. thing you do. You have your license now, you're excited. It's like getting a car, right? You're not going to drive your car. So same thing with my license. And I found that it was, people were put off by that. Right. So they were kind of like, yeah, no, I already have an offer because let's say Joe, the agent, Joe, the broker has a deal. Why would he give it to me and lose 50% of his money, right? If he his investors in his hand anyway. So what I, What my mentor, the gentleman I told you about before early, comes to me and, and he was always real cryptic with all his, you know, his advice. know, never gave it to me straight. It was just drive me nuts. He was this fortune cookie stuff, you know? And he would tell me stuff like, you know, you're taking half the money and then just hang up. And I wouldn't talk to him for like a week. i might like, take half the money. What does that mean, you know? And finally it would sink in and, and then I would call him up, you know, like grasshopper, right? Like, okay, I got it. You, what you mean is that if I, if I, it, it, if I represent the client, I'm taking half of their money. He goes, bingo. So what he said is, why don't you do this? Why don't you let them represent the client, your client, they're your clients. So they're not going anywhere. Let them make more money. Now you're on par with their existing investors. Now you have to have a secret sauce. Why would they pick your investor over theirs? Close faster, you know, less headache, all cash, no matter whatever, whatever it may be. And that's what I learned. So I learned uh, in my pitch. I think I, I even mentioned the first time we talked. My pitch was, always was, and I hate to use the word pitch, but my intro would be, you know, hey Joe, I saw you saw this deal on Lancashire. Um, I've got an issue. Do you mind helping me? Right? Because organically, good people by nature like to help. Right? You you don't you don't you can elicit some of their attention by asking them for help because they want to help. They want to feel important. So they'd say, yeah, sure. You know, what, what can I do for you? And I'd say, um, you know, I got a client. I, I'm just tied up with so many different things. I just can't represent him the fullest of the way I think he deserves. Do you mind representing him and double ending the deal? Silence, pause, right? What's the guy going to say? Wait a minute. You want me to double end with your client? And then it was, it was guaranteed. Right? I just literally with my fingers, I can't want to, and it, oh yeah, sure. You know, and then the next thing would be in. Okay. So this is what we have, we have a full price offer, all cash. My guy will close in five days, but I just need to know if you're okay representing him. Uh, yeah, but how do you make money? Well, uh, the way I make money is we'll negotiate a little bit on the price. I'll add it. My buyer pays me. Don't worry about anything. We don't put our hands in your pocket. And once we started doing that, I mean, it was, you want to talk about turning the lights on. It was ridiculous. So the lesson from that is let people make their money. Let people eat at the table. If you go in there and just try to get, and it's not even word greedy, but it's just, too aggressive and you're always trying to make money on it, you know, let everybody eat. Back in the day, I was, I was guilty of it. I'd want to make my money here on the hard money loan on this, on that. And after a while, I just learned, listen, bring in people, let them make their points. Don't even touch it. Let them do the. And what I found is exponentially, every person on that team now starts to bring more and more business for the good of the team. Right?
0: Wow. So, so, so I mean, what are, what are we looking at? Five deals a month? 10 yeah. 10 I mean, deals we, a month? we
1: were, we were at a point at some one point where we're averaging right around five deals a month. That, that's when it was really, really cranking. And when the, when the business was good. And I want to say the business is always going to be the same. It just means you have to redefine yourself or define yourself when the market gets tough, right? Like, like it is now, you know, right now we've got a lot of struggle. You got a lot of people in the marketplace going in and you've got guys overpaying for stuff and the agents are getting a little, you know, a little greedy in that sense that they're, they're, they're missing the point of why they should sell to you and not to this new guy. They call it networking. They call it growing their, their, their circle. But I think it's just more, they think because they are getting 20,000 more, but that's the, they're one and done. Right. Uh, I mean, it, again, everyone reaches that point in their career where they realize that it's less is more, you know, you have fewer people that, that bring you 80% of your income that you can trust. And that's huge. I mean, in my book, that is, that is the biggest thing that I've learned the hard way. And not because I didn't treat people right, just simply I thought, you know, let's just constantly be driving and driving and driving, but after a while it just gets exhausting and it's better to be, you know, three people at the table eating very, very well than to try to feed 50 people and no one's eating well, right? Got it. How would
0: you define wholesaling?
1: Um, the, I would say the act of finding a deal and basically, you know, assigning that deal to someone else, assigning that profit, assigning that opportunity to someone else. So right. that's the value that a wholesaler brings, right? I mean, they, they find a deal that has some, some meat that they feel that even with their profit or their fee or whatever it may be, um, still brings value. And that's, it's interesting. You point that out. I've had a lot of conversations with investors and guys where they say, Hey, this wholesaler said, but you know, he's taking all the meat off off the front end. And, and that's, that's where they don't realize that's why they have to have their price adjustments and they're grinding. Let people eat, let people eat on the back end. So for example, if there's, you know, I'm making the number up, if there's a hundred thousand profit, don't try to take 50, you know, take 25, take 20, take 10, but tell the guy, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to take 10, but I also want the back end listing or, you know, I want you to JV with me. There's got to be a, a value proposition. A win-win. A win-win,
0: yeah. You know, what what's the average on a, on a wholesaling deal for you?
1: Um, if you're wholesaling a deal across the board, I'd probably say between, probably between 10 and 25, 10 and 30, you know? And again, it's, 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 it's equal. It's commensurate to the amount of effort you put in. Right. I mean, I, I may get a guy that calls me off of an ad and says, Hey, I've got this deal. Okay. Send me the numbers. It sends me the numbers. I spend 10 minutes on it. Now I package it. I sent it and somebody buys it. You know, is it really fair? I, I want to say it the right way. Cause it's talking about me. Is it, is it fair to make that much money over 10 minutes worth of using a deal analyzer? Probably not to some people's eyes, but at the end of the day, those 10 minutes also came with 30 years of heartache. Yeah, <laughs> You know, no one sees that. Right. That's right. But yeah, I think, I think those, are, those are the ranges. I, I have th- know guys that again, You could be a lead generation guy, you know, if you're smart, if you're good with title data and stuff. I know guys that will get lists pretty much for free, work them, put them through their own little program, their spreadsheet and say, okay, you know what? I factored that in that out of these 10,000 leads, probably 500 are good. Of those 500, you're probably going to close 10, let's say, you know, using those kind of numbers. Right. And tell an investor, say, listen, just pay me 2,500, you know, for the list. And then boom, 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 you know, so on and so forth. So there's so many ways to make money in this. You just have to decide what you want to do, what your goal is.
0: What's been the biggest profit on a wholesale
1: Oh, we got—we were really blessed one time and made just a little bit over a hundred, two guys. So it was two of us, but you know we did well. It just depends on the deal itself. But right now, what we're focusing on shifting to is a lot of development construction, especially the stuff that most people won't—you t- know—won't touch. And there's guys that do it. So if you, I've got two guys right now that are really good at hillside construction. They—they they get it, right? Like you, you're—you're you're a fantastic developer. You understand it. But the average guy is not going to touch it. But if you can find that guy that will find that deal all day and say, listen, if, if you find these types of deals, I'll build in X. And usually those deals, again are going to be in the million, $2 million range. But that's where you can ask for $50,000, $70,000. Know. It,
0: it has its benefits, right? Because now you don't have a lot of investors just wanting to remodel a house competing. Absolutely. You're looking with a developer. You know, my experience in, now that you bring this up is that, that, you know, the the price of the lot has been increasing lately. Sure. You know, houses have been going up, but but the lot, now that you have more developers, right?
1: Suppose the developers.
0: That's right. That's right. You know what advice do you have for for as a mistake? What mistakes have you done when you started? And and what advice do you have for 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 new investors that want to get in wholesale?
1: The basics is not having my fee agreement signed. <laughs> that, was, that was the worst one I, I learned the hard way. Um, and just making sure that people value your time, value what you do. Um, don't sell yourself short because when you do that you, you afford them or you allow them to treat you a certain way. So if you don't stand your ground and say, listen, no, I, this is a deal that we agreed on. This is what I think I should get paid. Most or early wholesalers, and don't get me wrong, I do it in some, some instances as well, is they panic. They say, oh, you know, if, if this guy doesn't buy from me and, and you know, no one else is going to buy If it's truly a good deal, you just, you do the takeaway, right? It's like poker, you bluff. And you bluff for good reason because you're bringing value and these deals are hard to come by. And I always, the way I always looked at it when I ever had a, I don't want to say snap at my investor, but kind of put him back in line, so to speak, is tell him, listen, if you had the deals, you wouldn't be coming to me. You'd be closing. That's all you'd be doing is closing.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Roel. We're going to move to the 10 questions. And now the top 10 questions. The top 10 questions with Joe Arias. Raul, when you were a kid, what were you afraid of and why?
1: I'd probably say the dark. I, mean, you know, I don't say the dark per se, but what the dark personified, right? Not knowing the unknown. And uh, for the, only for that reason, because I didn't know what was going to happen.
0: Question number two What did your father touch you as a value or an anti value?
1: Um, the best value is just honesty. Uh, my father is the absolute most honest man on the planet. I mean, to a fault. To an absolute fault. And from a sales perspective, I don't say you you act to be dishonest, but sometimes, you know, you don't show all your cards, you know, as as, as you, you posture. But my father is, is beyond reproach, the most honest man on the planet. Not mm. just because he's my dad, but because he is.
0: <laughs> Question number three. What was the best piece of advice you can give to someone that wants to get into wholesaling?
1: Learn the craft. Learn it at its fullest. And you cannot cheat the grind. Put the work in. People often say that
0: your life is a movie. And if your life was a movie, Raul... What actor
1: would be the lead? What actor would be the lead? Oh, man. Um, for no other reason other than just I enjoy his movies, Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> good looking one, too. I don't read too much into that, but yeah.
0: <laughs> Next question, what is your why?
1: My why is to impact. My why is to impact. My, uh, my graduate degree is in sociology, and in there, I learned that we are not an island. We have to interact for good, better, or, 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 or worse. And in the state that this country's in, and I won't get into that, we're fractured. And I think we're at a point now where we're so divisive and so so antagonistic, so on edge that I think my why is to say, listen, if you want to make money to save the whales, if you want to make money to bring kids over from wherever, whatever it may be, whether it's altruistic or not, that's what I want to do. If it changes your life and it impacts, and at the end of the day, um, you know, people remember you. And, and to go off on a little tangent on that question, I attended a friend's funeral the other day, mm. about two months ago, I should say, and was just floored. The, the church was packed. They, they bust in three buses from my son's uh, high school overflow that I put speakers in the parking lot. And I think to myself, this is a young guy. He was 55 and change. And he wasn't even in a business like we're in, right, where he touched people. This is organically. So to me, I'm thinking to myself, how does someone touch that many people? And I think that's really the biggest check mark in in how you assess what you've done. I hate to sound morbid, is who's going to be at your funeral? Ask yourself that. If I died today, who would be there? And if you count the people on your hand or its immediate family, it's people that have to be there, then you're not living your life accordingly. That's the answer to that question. If
0: you could invest for the rest of your life in one city, what would that city be and why?
1: Over the years, I'm, I'm, I've been kind of over the, the, the fees and, you know, the commissions per se. I'd probably look for cash flow. Um, so for that reason, I would probably look at Memphis or, or Jackson, you know, one of those cities. Cause it's just, you're buying the home so cheap and and the income is great. The cap rates are great. And people over there have a different mindset, not a bad way, but just they're not as aggressive as we are here. So there's a lot of opportunity.
0: Next one, if you could ask God one question, what would it be and why?
1: I think it would be, again, how can I be a better vessel for you? And what are the steps I need to take that? And for that reason, specifically for that reason, I think, I think it's a disservice to ourselves if we don't have that impact on people. Where do you see yourself in five years? Hopefully France. I was a French major in my undergrad so tell me more about that I'm all things yeah I just I just enjoyed everything about the language the culture the people in uh, in on a I don't want to say it was a better or a dare, but a friend of mine was um, tutoring me in French and said, "You know what? You're good, but I don't think you'd ever follow up." I ended up you know, four years later, I got my degree. So, <laughs> but I just I love everything. I'm a francophone by nature, and the wine—it's just beautiful. And it's more what the culture represents in the like sense, like the cheese of, too, the cheese, the bread—it's just it's all good. And their mentality is a little different, obviously, and not better or worse. It's just simply they've they've got a you know la vie on rose, right? They look at everything through rose-colored glasses. It's good, you know. You're, we're arguing, we can argue to argue, we can disagree to disagree. But at the end of the day, you know, we have a nice meal, we sit down, we enjoy. We convive. We we bless each other with what we can give to each other, and that's that's huge. And again as you get older. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying that's my perspective.
0: I'm going on a but I want to ask you, since since you're talking about France, what is the stigma with, with you know, America and and, and France? And...
1: It, it, it's it's funny you say that. We had a exchange student that came over and lived with us for a few months and, and she was just horrified, horrified at the things that we did in the sense that we took her through an in and out drive through and she's just, because they're they're connoisseurs, right? They're, they're gourmands, as we call them. It's all about the food, but not not eating the food to just eat, but to enjoy every morsel, every taste, they every have, texture. They have fast food in France, well, right? But that's the that's a, that's a westernization. That's that's our, I guess, our infectious desire to want to just feed, feed, feed and gulp. And, and back to what she was doing, she, she was holding the food on her lap. She's like, well, what are we doing with this? And my wife's like, well, we're eating it because we're running kind of late. Just couldn't believe that. Second, movies. When we go to movies and we and you don't eat there. At that time, this was years ago, you don't just go to a movie and start eating. You're supposed to watch the movie and enjoy it and, and just dissect it, right? The whole movie. So when we were buying food, she's like, why are you guys eating again? <laughs> it's this whole thing about let you know, more and more big gulps and 32 ounces. She just couldn't understand how we can consume so much. And then one time we went to Vegas with her and, and she was like, oh my God, what is this? I was, it's a buffet. She's like, so you can just keep eating like, like a horse? I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if we're a horse, but okay, fine. I'll give you that. And she's like, yeah, we don't, we don't eat salty things for breakfast. It's just, and so mm. it was just interesting, her perspective on it. For So the, what I got about that was more of just, uh, and I, I'm, I'm an American, so I'm going to say it the way, because you asked the question, yeah. they look at us as undisciplined. They look at us as immediate gratification. Mm. We don't have that discipline as, as per se, and whether it's discipline in getting for their education, whether it's doing this, or it's, they're always, I think they're overthinking. That's my perspective. But they always ask, you know, why do you need to have more? Why do you need to have this avarice? You know, what is that? about? And I, I used to tell this because we're trained that way. We're a competitive country. I mean, we don't, I, I guess we could say, you know, we don't control a lot of things on this planet because we're nice. And because of this, we're hyper aggressive and that's how we're trained. I mean, anyone that's even the immigrant mentality, right? I mean, you're from South America, I'm from South mm-hmm. America. Um, you know, you come here for a better opportunity. You don't come here for a worse opportunity, mm-hmm. right? And there's no other Country on the planet that'll give you the, the socioeconomic mobility this schedule will deal, you know?
0: Last question What would you like to be remembered for?
1: Being a good man. Just being a good man, uh, always doing the right things. And again, always doing the right things for the greater good, not just for my good. Excellent. Okay. So we're going
0: to pass to the last uh, part of the show. What last value can we bring to our students uh, listening to this inside of wholesaling?
1: I would think networking. Is probably one of the, the key things. I think networking and, and education is huge because I think the more you educate yourself in, in the different aspects of wholesaling, um, whether it's networking, you know, working, da- you know, the, the agents, databases, things, you know, door knocking, that's important. And I think networking with the right people is, is absolutely because that's how you how you're basically you're you're multiplying your abilities. You're multiplying your efforts, right?
0: Yeah, it's a good point, right? Because we 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 are we are who we hang out with, right? They right. They, they say that we are we're a product of the people that we know. Absolutely. Um, so okay. I think that's a great uh, perspective, right? So if you start looking for investors, start meeting investors, then your network goes up.
1: Right. Absolutely. Excellent. And uh, anything else? No, I, I think that's that's pretty much it. I mean, I, I, again, at the end of the day, I'm, I I want to thank you for having me on here. You know, I think you're doing a fantastic thing. The the, the things you're, you're putting on the table is invaluable uh, because, again, you're speeding up that learning curve mm. without a cost, right? I mean, at the end of the level, they're not having to learn the hard way and, and they need to value the things that you're putting on the table. So, you know, let me let me turn the tables on you. Let me ask you, you know, uh, where do you see yourself in the, in the next couple of years? I mean, what do you see with what you have, this incredible, you know, academy that you're setting up? Where do, where do you see yourself?
0: Well, thanks for asking that. I, I think that my my commitment is to create financial freedom for people, to really create entrepreneurship spirits in in our society, in our community. And my my goal, my picture is in about 10 years to be in a stadium uh, with 50,000 entrepreneurs. Nice. And it's not about us. It's not about the education. It's about empowering people and giving them the tools to succeed.
1: Fantastic. Social movement of sorts, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Can I get a backstage back?
0: Absolutely. Okay. You'll be you'll be a, a elite speaker. <laughs>
1: I'll call you on that.
0: <laughs> okay, we're gonna we have a lot of students listening to this that want to buy their first, their second, the third deal. How can they get you know? How can they they can reach to you?
1: Um, yeah, they they're happy to reach me on on either email or, or phone. Would you mind saying it? Sure, absolutely. My my email address is they can reach at deals at cashflowingunits.com. That's deals at cashflowingunits.com or my number seven one four seven two four three eight seven nine is this your cell phone that's my cell phone i live with it would you mind repeating it one more time sure seven one four seven two four three eight seven nine last question for you what does real success means to you i guess it's almost like that mama mentality right being a better version of yourself that's really it whatever that is you set that goal you have a plan and then you execute that plan
0: thank you so much Roll.
1: sure thank you so for having me all right Take care.